Hi, you're listening to Following the Right Rabbit. This is Raf Los. Got you live from Montreal, sitting here with Charlie and Nadan. We're at the HP Master the Cloud event in Montreal, where it's cold outside, but the Habs and the Cloud are heating up things. Charlie, introduce yourself. Well, I'm Charlie Dust. I'm a fellow with HP out of the uh, HP Lab Services Lab. Hello, I'm Nadan. I'm a distinguished technologist out of HP Enterprise Services. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. So one of the things that you keep we keep hearing about is all these statistics and metrics and you know the cloud is here and now was the theme this morning. What's driving all that? What's driving cloud adoption? I mean, you guys are, you know, two very seasoned IT folks. What's driving cloud adoption? Well, I think one of the things that's that's driving adoption is uh, the in- tremendous increase, the abundance, if you will, of capabilities that's in the IT space that frankly just wasn't didn't exist uh, a few short uh, months or even years ago in that we have an abundance of data coming in from sensors. We have an abundance of networking capability with its ever-increasing ability to move data out of those sensors and abundance of computing capability in cloud, allowing us to, to add value to businesses like we've never done before. In addition to what Charlie said, what's also happening is consumerization of IT, where business has choices that they didn't before. Therefore, IT really has to gear up to meet the new service levels that business expects. And the cloud is offering opportunities to businesses that is driving IT to change their behavior and also adopt a new paradigm. So that is another significant driver for the adoption of cloud. Yeah, one of the things that was discussed a little bit this morning was that uh, with the downturn of the economy, many organizations focused on cost cutting and and trying to get the most out of the little resources they had. And of course, you got very efficient during that process. And now as organizations are having a little bit more money to spend and a little bit more freedom, uh, they're looking for flexibility and how to drive even more uh, value and and capability into the organization and the cloud's a key part of that. So guys... A couple of other um, evolutionary aspects is really um, infrastructure being provided as services that really started a few years back, but then that coupled with the ability to virtualize and the orientation towards services overall, which I really consider to be a precursor to the cloud paradigm. All of those are kind of you know intersecting and converging into the consumerization of IT, which is what, again, driving the cloud adoption. So one of the things, guys, I saw was that I saw that on the screen as uh, I think it was uh, Dave Fredrickson was talking. Um, businesses are adopting cloud two and a half to five times faster than IT. Now, at first blush, that seems like, wait a second, then how are they managing this? But that fundamentally really is what cloud is all about, right? The business adopting technology at the at the service level rather than buying boxes and sticking things on racks in the, in the data centers. That, is that really what that means? Yeah, I think that that's a key portion of it. You think about traditionally IT has been about control and, and service level agreements and high availability and those kind of things. And businesses now are looking for much more flexibility. And what you have with cloud is the ability to have both at the same time. And it's, it's that intersection of seemingly uh, diaposed uh, drivers is where real innovation can enter an organization. Um, this is actually, I mean, when I saw that statistic, what went through my mind was I was trying to put myself in the shoes of a CIO who took the role on, let's say, five years back. And suddenly, you know, the, the CIO may have walked in with an expectation of what their job description was. And guess what? In the last five years, that changed. And if the CIO doesn't realize that today, then uh, they're going to have to deal with some other problems that they may not like. So you mentioned the role of the CIO has changed. Uh, what do you see as the the number, like the fundamental principle difference in the role of the CIO 
now versus five years ago? Oh, one of the things I think is that uh, the CIO five years ago, uh, operational excellence was one of the things that they were clearly measured on. Is it running? Is it operating effectively, et cetera? Where now uh, their management skills of third parties, solutions, services, as we begin to aggregate services together to generate business value, that, that third party management functionality is, is much more important than it used to be. Five years back when the CIO joined, they would have had the expectation that, okay, business is providing me the requirements and as long as I deliver on the service levels, I'm good. But then today, the CIO is one of the many choices that business has. The CIO has to compete. Not only, you know, they, the, the IT organization happens to be one of the many service providers. So if they are not meeting the service levels and anticipating what the business needs, guess what? Business will take those projects elsewhere. And that is why they need to be a lot more secure about how they do what they do and how they align with the business. So that's interesting thought, right? We have anybody with a credit card right now, uh, a project manager with a credit card can spin up a virtual machine or a whole vir set of virtual machines outside the control and bringing it back to things that are central to my, my thought process is security, right? As we start talking about cloud and cloud computing and spinning up virtual machines and environments and hybrid clouds and service delivery across multiple platforms and elasticity, but you know the concepts behind security have fundamentally uh, evolved. They're, I wouldn't say they're completely different, but they're certainly evolving over time. Uh, I think one of the things that I keep seeing is the CISO. You know, that you alluded to the fact that CIO is becoming different. I think the CISO is becoming different. We've, the CISO has evolved from a person that is meant to analyze uh, projects and through an IT throughput through the organization and make decisions whether or not this is secure, whether or not this is allowed. And now it's uh, sort of evolving to a governance state, right? We're, we're governing, like Charlie, you alluded to, we're governing whether this is a good idea or not. We're governing vendors, we're governing delivery. Well, actually, I would say we should be governing it. One of the issues you run into is that uh, many organizations begin to question, do I need an enterprise architecture? Do I need an enterprise data strategy, et cetera? I would say that for in cloud environments, you need it more now than ever because uh, ensure that anybody can go out of the credit card and get a, access to a CPU and bring some stuff up on there. But the days of the standalone application are pretty much over. It's the integration of the application with the rest of the enterprise that actually adds a significant value so that you can have that new interface, that new capability to share in a maybe a personalized or customized way that they weren't able to do before, but it still has to be integrated and accurate. Yeah, I thought Bill Deplay this morning made a fantastic point about assembling solutions. Uh, versus building them, as Charlie pointed out. Um, but coming to the point of security, and why am I not surprised the white rabbit is bringing up security in the conversation? But then, um, to me, yes, there are concerns about security that have clearly surfaced and possibly persist when it comes to the cloud. And the CIO should be concerned, but guess what? It is not really the cloud. It is you. It is you, the consumer, who needs to make sure that you take appropriate steps to ensure that when you deploy solutions in the cloud, you have taken measures early on so that you know you manage the risk early on. So let us not just blame the cloud for being not secure. You can do things with it and do things right so that the solution is secure. So this is probably why I've seen the flood of uh, architects required, security architects with the word cloud and from the cloud security architects. I mean, look at any job board right now, there's hundreds of cloud security architects wanted everywhere out there. Part of, that, part of that's probably because of uh, some of the 
documented issues and failures that have happened in the cloud space with the people who went early and, and didn't really architect their solution. And then when there's a problem, either on the services side or the interface side or whatever, it fell over. Well, uh, I, I thought this cloud was supposed to stay up, you know, five, nine, six, nines, whatever it might be. And, and that's, you know, anything that's built by humans is going to fall over at some time, but you can architect around many of those things. And a lot of that happens, ha has to have put in software. There is a tendency in IT industry, which has not changed and which I still see going on, which is to jump on a bandwagon and assume that this new bandwagon is going to solve all problems for all applications for everything inside IT today. Cloud is no different. There is a tendency to jump on board, but then you do have to assess what you have and what is best suited for the cloud. And you ask yourself the question, you know, what is the right level of security? You don't need the ultimate security for everything you have. So you can kind of determine, you know, how do you package the ones that are better suited for public cloud? and certain ones for private cloud and live in a harmony there. So I really project uh, the hybrid cloud as being the you know, highest level of adoption, starting with private, then cautiously approaching to hybrid. I would really wonder if you know we will get to a point where everybody is only public. That That's a long time away. Yeah, I think that as things have changed, you know, you mentioned trying to figure out the difference between a public and a private service, right? Some things you, you just, you know, you want to make sure you can control some things you can't. One of the things I've noticed, and as I've talked to some of the C-level folks at an event like this or other events in the past, is that some folks are migrating to, quote, the cloud simply because they are 100% certain that anybody else besides them can do a better job of securing their environment than they can. Now, there are various reasons for this, right? Whether it's a lack of uh, industry talent that we have, whether it's a lack of specialization, uh, whether it's the region in the world you live in or the, the spot in the country you live in because there's simply not enough people there that are skilled in that trade. But security folks are becoming so very specialized and so very required right now. And I think we're going to be needed more than we have been in the past because the, the paradigms are changing, right? Cloud computing is basically means to me that it, it's about workload. It's about where work takes place, you know, any kind of effort, how a service is delivered, how a business process is delivered. And if we're really good at architecting these things, uh, we should be able to deliver it here, there, anywhere, across multiple vendors, if you want, right, without having to run into the security problems. Now, the challenges with that means that we can't have the M&M &M anymore, right? We, can, we can't build a fortress around the outside, put a firewall there, care, carefully guard the packets that go in and out, inspect them all, and assume that everything on the inside is safe. There is no inside. Yeah, the, the whole concept of uh, perimeter-based security. The 1990s should have killed that off a long time ago. But one, I think one of the things that you just brought up that was key is that the uh, security architect does have an educational responsibility. Just because they make it look easy doesn't mean it is easy. And just because they've done a good job doesn't mean that whoever has to maintain it will understand the implications of, of the work they did. So they have to document, they have to share. Uh, the the not necessarily the complexities, but the, but the architecture, as you point out, so that it can be maintained for the long term and not just uh, you know for the moment. Yeah, uh, cloud security is also uh, bringing out some other concerns, which is you know in addition to we have our information out there and we are responsible to keep it secure. There is also the big brother watching over you, so you need to be compliant. So even if you know. Let's say that you know you, you you know you don't have to have the highest level of security on certain pieces of information. If it leaks out, if you're not compliant with the federal regulations, you're you are you, you know you are on point. 
So there is that additional concern that is exacerbated because we are actually, you know, uh, you know, deploying solutions more in the cloud. So that has been kind of, uh, uh, you know, there is a resistance to move because of the compliance laws. You know, the challenges of these elastic environments, I think, are starting to show uh, in the fact that lots of you know, events like this, I mean, we've basically got a room of close to 500 people up there, uh, senior level executives, senior technology decision makers that are looking to us you know, and, and various partners of ours to give them direction, to give them guidance uh, in the fact that we're doing events like this that are essentially sold out in a couple of cities, right? This is fantastic. Um, but that really means to me that people are looking for guidance. People are looking for ways to derive business value, not just move, like you said, to the next big thing in IT, because it, it shouldn't be about chasing butterflies, right? It, just because it's the next cool thing doesn't mean it's the right thing for your business. But I think if we look around, I think cloud computing really is the right thing for a lot of businesses, because how many you know organizations do we know have excess server capacity coming out their ears, humming around in the data, data center, wasting power, generating excess heat, tons of extra disk space? You know, virtualization takes care of some of that. Being able to make that elastic, make some of that uh, usable, you know, across internal BUs, self-servicing some of this stuff. I mean, that's that's important stuff. It's a fundamental shift in the way IT functions. Well, and I think one of the things that uh, we've got going on inside HP is a lot of research in new mechanisms and, and uh, new paradigms. I think you use the word paradigm, but new paradigms in not just cloud as it's thought of today, but what are the implications of that? What are the underlying in, uh, infrastructure issues, networking issues, et cetera, as we begin to take the backplane of a rack and making it part of the data center network. And we begin to look at what type of processing. Does it, it re reside better on a GPU or does it reside on a low power kind of unit that uh, the traditional cloud processor would, is a little different than that. There's all kinds of things that uh, are underway to allow choice. I think that's one of the big differentiators that, that uh, in the people I talk to in HP is we're trying to enable choice between all the options for the client, not just make decisions for them and say, here's what we offer, but really enable a, a broader spectrum of, of capabilities and then work with them on how does it add value to their business and uh, in general. So it is, yes, in addition to what Charlie said, um, it is, it's very interesting that you, you characterize, you know, the, the fact that we need to give guidance. There is a whole world out there who needs that guidance. And it is clear that it is not one solution fits all. So really, it is a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the customer. So I'm kind of putting on the enterprise services consultant hat here, I and <laughs> leveraging you know uh, the forward-thinking content that we get from HP Labs and uh, you know from a strategic standpoint. So um, what, 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 when we deal with customers, right, it is very easy to realize that it is not just one solution fits all, but it also matters who we are talking to. Mm -hmm. You know. Who, which viewpoint should you take into account? Are you talking to the CFO? Uh, is it the consumer? Is it the enterprise architect? Is it the business owner? You know, or the CEO or the IT strategist? And each viewpoint, there is something in the cloud for everyone. But it's really a matter of making sure they understand what's in it for them and how they perceive it, and then work with them along that. So the guidance should be packaged not only for the customer's context, but also the person, the human being, the perspective that they bring to the table. And I think one thing about that that's key is there is not one right answer and working through that, I mean, feel free to tell somebody that uh, this is not what I want, This I want this other thing because if you don't have that conversation, you can't really get down to the real uh, 
root cause of what's driving some of these things. And, and the cloud is a perfect opportunity because of its great breadth of possibilities to, to really get some of those low-level uh, discussions. So one of the things I've noticed, you know, and I'm actually kind of proud of this, is that we're not up there in that trade show floor on those keynotes. We're up there pushing HP products. We're not out there saying, here, this is our stuff. This is how you should use it. Now go out and buy it. This is a technology thought leadership guidance advice kind of giving session where we're putting, uh, I think this must be driving some of our sales folks crazy because this is putting, you know, the, uh, the need to sell. Uh, sort of in a backseat over the need to advise and to have educated consumer. I think if the big, you know, if I have to put aside some of the FUD out there at the fear-based uh, stuff that's going around, I think one of the biggest challenges with respect to security and cloud computing is simply the uneducated consumer. Right? People are going in companies, entire companies are going into the cloud, into the cloud paradigm, uh, to overuse that word for like the 17th time. Um, you know, with the wrong, with wrong perceptions, right? thinking that it's going to deliver one thing and delivers another, thinking that it's going to deliver more or less, or it's they're going to get more secure or they're going to get less secure or something, right? And they're either, and, and you know, uh, Christian Verstrat and I wrote a post uh, on the on collaboratively on our blog, and it was like this, uh, you know, somebody wrote a 10 things, 10 ways to sell your CEO on cloud. And one of those things, it's always going to be cheaper. Like, in what parallel universe do you think is cloud computing always going to be cheaper? If it's done right, sure, it could be cheaper. But it's like it's like saying, you know, everything, you know, no matter what, you know, this is going to be cheaper. This is going to be better. That's silly, right? I mean, not having a business would be cheaper, too, but you don't <laughs> see that as a goal. I mean, one of the things I think you're getting at, though, is that uh, th this is a learning process for really everybody as far as you you need to begin to experiment, but have objectives in mind and measure your performance against those objectives. If you're wrong, that's great. Have another pilot. You know, it's, it's not, that's not a, the end of the world. Understanding and educating on what the possibilities are and what they mean to your organizations are a key, key component. Right. Um, so I did connect to that blog that you and Christian authored through one of my earlier posts, which really talked about, you know, from a CFO's perspective, how do you compute the cost? You know, what is the cost of cloud computing? I mean, seems like a very simple uh, question to ask, but really involves some deep investigation research, and you really have to factor in multiple variables, and I have outlined that. Um, so the next step after the CFO figures out what the cost is, is really to, you know, take a few tips from your post on, you know, how to present that and make a business case to the CEO. So um, factoring in the right aspects, total cost of ownership, legacy application modernization, what do you get by being in the cloud, the CapEx versus OpEx, all of those needs to come in to answer that big question from a CFO's perspective as to what is the cost of cloud computing. You know, I'm sure it was meant as a joke, but during one of the keynotes, somebody mentioned, um, you know, how's that, be, how's that old Vax box going to be connected to the cloud? And I almost had to chuckle because I, I know lots and lots of organizations. Um, I have some dear friends that are C-level security managers at these organizations that are looking at their organizational goals to shift computing power to the cloud and some of the legacy stuff that's been duct tape and bubble gum together over the years. And they're just banging their heads against the wall because there's there's just no good way to do it. Is, is this a moment in time, because you guys are the perfect people to ask answer this right now, is this a moment of time where we simply take that leap across the chasm and leave the old behind? 
or do we keep pulling it behind us, you know, like keep duct taping it and, and, and bringing it with us as a legacy platforms? Well, I think that's part of the whole value-based assessment that needs to take place of how much value is it generating versus how much are you spending on it. If it is sitting in a corner and, no, and, and nobody's having to support it at all, there are risks associated with that, but... It, you know, you may put it off to something that's, uh, you know, in the ditch every other week that's uh, forcing you to do it. And, of course, the question for all the VAX people out there is how are you connected to cloud? Maybe you connected in a cluster because that's, of course, VAX came up with clustering uh, a, a long time ago. So, um, so I would take a slightly different um, uh, approach to, you know, that, the question you posed. Really, it is about, you know, systems of record and systems of engagement. So you have you know, uh, legacy applications that are serving the systems of record need. And then you are dealing with, you know, like Charlie pointed out at the beginning, you know, with big data and then the inflow of uh, information. You have to still cater to the need for the analytics. And you, you kind of need to coexist between the systems of record and the information analytics. At the same time, you need to modernize to the cloud. So selectively, you would take uh, the certain legacy applications which are better suited for migration to the cloud and there will be some refactoring needed. I'm not suggesting that you can take the VAX application and deploy it tomorrow in the cloud. But then which ones do you choose to do? And then there will be others that you might retire and there's some you might continue to manage, truth be told. I heard in um, Michael Fisher's presentation today, COBOL may be the one that is in the most demand you know, going forward. And, and I'm, for some reason, I'm not surprised with all this talk about modernization, maybe certain applications that, that are going to stay put. 20 years back, somebody told me that, you know, in 20 years, COBOL will still be in demand. I didn't believe that guy then, but I can see why he was saying what he was saying. Yeah, Microfocus has products that will take sure. COBOL code to, the, to uh, a parallelized cloud environment, not just a cloud environment. So. I thought you were going to say parallel universe. <laughs> well, guys, uh, this has been a fantastic discussion. Um, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time out to talk to my audience. Uh, this is uh, enlightening. You guys have spent a lot of time in technology, spent a lot of time in both the labs and, and some of the uh, foundational parts of HP and doing some amazing things. Hope to have you back someday. Thank you. Pleasure is mine. Thanks, guys. <laughs>